What Are You Made Of? It's Mike C-Rock. Welcome to What Are You Made Of? Every episode of this podcast is centered around building ourselves and the people in our lives to reach our full potential. I hope that the experiences and stories of success from these conversations can give you rocket fuel to reach new heights and help you answer the question, What Are You Made Of? What Are You Made Of? I want to remind you that the Rocket Fuel book is available at MikeCRock.com forward slash book. That's MikeCROC.com forward slash book. Go get yourself a copy. And subscribe to the What Are You Made Of podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. If you like watching these, it's available on YouTube at my channel, Mike C-Rock Scirocco. Now, enjoy the show. Welcome back to another episode of What Are You Made Of? With your boy, the unstoppable Mike C-Rock. I'm in the house today with a friend of mine that I met on Clubhouse. I have a feeling a lot of podcasts that have been happening with connections that have been made on Clubhouse over the last year. But you know, a lot of times when I'm on Clubhouse, guys, I talk some, but most of the time I'm like a duck. People see me on there and my feet are pedaling under the surface by connecting with people. I use this as a, an awesome you know, targeted marketing you know, for connections, just building relationships. And every room has a title, a topic, a club, and you can't get much more targeted than that. So one of the guys that I got the opportunity to meet, his name's Todd Skelton. He's a president and CEO of Prime Automotive, which is a top 20 US auto retailer selling over 63,000 new and used vehicles annually and generating over 2.6 billion in revenue. You know, that's some big stuff right there. Big numbers. I love to hear that. Big numbers get attention. Todd, welcome to the What Are You Made Of show. Hey, man. T-Rack. So good to be here, man. Exciting. Been waiting to see this. It's up on the calendar and it, it was showing up and I'm like, man, this is a good day. I like it. Yeah. I mean, we see each other's pictures all the time on Clubhouse. We hear each other's voices, but we don't get to see right. actually, you know, uh, motion. So right. it's great to have you on here, man. And uh, first of all, we have a tradition here. We always start the show by asking the question, what are you made of, Todd? Man, listen, what I'm made of is transparency and authenticity, man. I, I mean, honestly, if I look back at my life and my career, I think that through a very transparent lens, I'm a good communicator. And I think as we get into discussing, you know, how we reshaped this company that we just sold, which is a really good story over the last two years, if I think back about what did Todd do? Like it's never a one person show, but what did Todd do that really helped shape the company and, and get it sold for three X of what it was worth when I got here a little less than two years ago? And what I was is I was a good communicator and I was authentic and I was transparent. So that's that's what I'm made of, man. Yeah, I love that. And uh, to dig on that, which we'll get into that story about this company in a second, but where did you learn to do that? Was it a mentor? Was it just experiencing and messing up? Was it something from you know your younger years? You know, where where did you learn to be a great communicator? Yeah, you know, I think if I try to pin it back to one thing, of course, as you're on your journey and you're moving forward. There's a lot of people that impact your life, but if I really bring it back to the one thing that was maybe a life changer for me. So I worked as a, an area man. Well, first of all, I had a great upbringing in terms of my parents, right? They're both hardworking, lower middle class, school teachers, Louisiana, New Orleans, Louisiana, not the best of places to be raised. If I'm being honest, a great place to visit, but not, not a place you really want to raise your children. Uh, but in that, uh, what I learned was that I wasn't I wasn't really given anything. I I didn't want for anything per se. We had food on the table. I had clothes on my back, but I also wasn't a person that got a silver spoon. And so therefore, I went to work very early in my in my life at maybe 14 years old. I worked at a local pet shop. I was a busboy for a bit, so on and so forth. And and I think what that led me to was a was a job at a Pizza Hut restaurant. And from that Pizza Hut, 
job through school, I became a restaurant manager and I was one of their younger restaurant managers. I think I was, I was 19 or, or maybe 20. And then I became an area manager and I had um, uh, 17 Pizza Hut restaurants I was responsible for at the mid twenties. And I couldn't even barely take care of myself. See, Rock, and I'm out here wow. managing these stores. It was kind of crazy, right? But from that experience, I also got myself involved in multi-level marketing in Amway, right? And yep. as I was going through my, my career with Pizza Hut, driving my Chevy Lumina, making $35,000 a year at this big corporate job, I was trying to build the dream and grow an Amway, right? Pizza Hut got a hold of that and they're like, we don't like it. We don't want you to do this anymore. And this job's not challenging enough for you that, you know, maybe you should move on. And, and I did. And when I moved on, I went into the car business. But if I think back to what's the life changer, the things I learned in that Amway business, I built a pretty good size organization and I learned how to communicate with people. And I learned how to, you know, to empathize with people because you're trying to get people to do something that they really don't want to do, that they don't have time for, that they're not necessarily going to get paid for. And that was a tough gig. And there were a lot of leaders in that organization. Listen, I'm being honest. I didn't make any money, man. I had I had a big group. I had these little titles. I was a emerald. I was this. I was that. I spoke right. at some of these deals. I didn't make any money, but I did learn lifelong lessons so that when I got into the car business, boom. I mean, first months in the car business, you know, I was upset about leaving my $35,000 a year job, man. I remember making eight grand selling cars first month. And I didn't have any idea what I was doing, man. I had, yeah. and this is back in 1993. I had well, no idea that, what I was that, doing. That's even better sometimes though, not knowing what you're doing, right? It is because guess what I had, man? I understood how to connect with people. So we're going to give it back to the Amway group, to all my friends in that organization way back when that taught me how to communicate with people and, and kind of uh, dig through the muck and the mire to get to people to get them, you know, to sell a dream and basically come on board. With them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I did in-home sales for nine years and it was the worst. I hated it. I would drive, I was doing water treatment sales, testing water, and then selling people something they didn't know they were going to be sold that night. And it was absolutely the worst, but I learned how to, like you said, I learned how to build rapport, handle objections, everything, man. And and I owe a lot to that. So that when I got into real estate in the mortgage world, I just, it was easy. I just blew it up and same thing. So everything we go through is something for our future, for sure. I have a question. So so, there's one other, there's one other little thing I have to say, because it's, it's kind of comical. So there was a little in between that Pizza Hut and starting the car business. Because truth be told, I went to the car, car, car store, the Chevy dealership that I bought my cars at, because that's I didn't know where to go. And, right. and three times they told me no, right? Sales managers didn't want to deal with the green pea. Didn't matter what I'd done in the past. I went back a second time and it took me the third time to find the general manager and actually get the job. And that was about a three-month period. So what did I do in that three-month period? Brother, I sold meat out of the back of a truck. <laughs> yeah. Dave Smith, man. Dave Smith and I, he had a meat business and we packed that truck up with boxes of meat. And you want to talk about the worst job in the freaking world, knocking on people's doors, giving <laughs> them this spiel about how you got some extra meat in the back of the truck in the freezer. Bro, that could be the one thing that got me good at the car business because I'm like, wait a minute, these people are coming in to buy from me. I don't have to go knock on this door. Yep. So I don't want to forget about the meat, the meat purveying business, man. Yeah. I mean, that's that's phenomenal. I mean, and while you're going through it, you're just like, I don't know what this is for. Or, you know, and, and sometimes right. 
you know, man, like you go through things and you have no idea what's in store for you in the future, which I'll share a couple of things here in a second with you. But my question on the um, where you are now, and we'll get into how this whole thing transpired with what you're in now. But to be a, a great CEO comes with the ability to have a belief lid that is just kind of blown off. And coming from your upbringing, where you came from, and a lower middle class parents, a lot of beliefs are instilled upon you, and really pounded into us at that you know at that young age. How did you blow off your belief lid to become the CEO that you've been? Well, listen, uh, it, it's a truth be told, and I was talking about this on Clubhouse this morning. If I'm being honest, I sold myself short probably five to seven years, right, man? Because so the last 15 years at AutoNation, I'm in this executive role and I'm making you know really good money and I'm overseeing multiple territories. But I had a boss that I worked for who was a COO who just constantly pressed me down. We just did not get along, bro. 17 years I dealt with this guy, right? And you know, of course, you learn lessons along the way. You learn what not to do. And, and I'm not saying he was a bad guy. We just did not mix. At one point, we, the company, I asked, I said, give me a coach, man. Just get me an executive coach. They spent $35,000. They bring this guy in. And he was amazing. And we went on. It was a six-month deal. And the six weeks into it, he called me. He goes, I got some bad news for you, Todd. His name's John. I go, what, 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 John? What happened? I thought we were doing good. He goes, we're doing good. He goes, but the problem is not you, bro. It's your boss. And I said, well, what are we going to do about that? He goes, there's nothing we can do about that, man. So we would, we would like to construct emails and like he would send me an email and, and I'd go, okay, John, let's figure out how to answer this email. We spent hours. Response would come back. With, it didn't matter what we sent. The guy just, we had a problem. So what I should have done is gotten out of that scenario and taken what I had learned all those years to, as you say, blow the lid off. Because when I got into the CEO job and I walked in January 1st of 2020 to a very dysfunctional organization who, where the company, the owner of the company had sold to private equity and he stayed on as the, and he was a big figure up here in New England, man, in Boston. And he stayed on as a CEO and then something went wrong and he decided he wanted out. And it got very, very difficult. And they finally had to let the guy go. And so I'm walking in behind this figurehead and I look like the bad guy. Plus, I'm in my first CEO gig. But you know what I realized, see, Rock, is, man, I kind of already knew what to do. So I took out a piece of paper and I think this is a, this is a key point. And I said, OK, so here I got a dysfunctional organization of 56 stores over eight states. At that point, it was over three billion dollars of revenue because we had sold some stores off after the fact. So we started with 56 stores. I need to visit every one of these stores. I need to get in front of these people and I need to have a message. And I literally sat down with a piece of paper and I wrote out three things. And it probably, it literally probably only took me five minutes. I didn't study it. I didn't pass it through groups. And it was a simple deal. Number one, we're going to be the employer of choice wherever we operate. Put a stake in the ground. Number two, we're going to take care of our customers to the highest level. We're going to build loyalty. Not good customer service scores that come from the manufacturer, but loyalty where people want to come back and do business. And what that's going to take is number one, which is you being happy as employees in your job. And number three, we're going to satisfy the manufacturers who we're partners with, who, by the way, hated us because they didn't like the private equity company. Those were the three, three things that we laid down. And I went from store to store to store. We did these town hall meetings. We went to the service shop, right? to the level of the people that are back there turning wrenches. We brought everybody into the service shop and I told that story and I said, this is what we're going to do now. What kind of questions do you have? And 
it set the stage, man. It set the stage for, okay, maybe we'll give this guy a shot. We know we like the other guy. Maybe we'll give this guy a shot. And yeah. then you know what I did? I went back and I did it again and again and again and again. We, we had four or five of these visits. Now, take, take into account we were going through COVID too, right? So obviously, we, we weren't going out in these dealerships doing these meetings in the middle of COVID. I probably would have done them every three months yeah. uh, on the three months, if not for COVID. But that was a big deal. And I think if I go back and again, I look at the one thing that really set the stage for the company and the growth, that was it. And guess what? At the end of the story, Boston Globe, best places to work. We won the award a month and a half ago in all the turmoil that was going on. And we sold the company for 3x what it was worth when we got here. Boom. Just from a simple deal of communication and going out and setting the stage and setting the goal and then following through. Well, you know, it's uh, funny because today I had a meeting with my team today. I have, a, I have a mortgage division that I run and I spend maybe an hour a day. I made myself obsolete in the day-to-day, thank God. Um, I have a great leadership team, but, but I spend an hour a day in it. And then if there's ever a problem that arises, I dip back into it. But I told the team today, like, we need to be able to ask for help. And if you're in your day-to-day and you don't see something that's helping you you know, with your job, making you, you, you work to your full potential, I need to know about it. I need to know what that is. And so I had him take a pen and paper out and said, listen, whatever you need help with in a perfect world, everything's perfect. What would you need to excel? And then I also told him, you got to be honest, because if you're writing things down about people around you and you don't say anything about yourself and what you're putting into it, you're not being honest because at the end of the day, we got to take hundred percent responsibility. So I'm curious about that. How much of what you saw was people or were people putting stuff down for other people, but also stepping their game up? Yeah, listen, man, the parallels here are pretty amazing. So one of the things that we did, I said, I'm going to get out here and I'm going to talk to these people. But at the end of the day, it's not about what I'm saying. It's about what they're going to tell me they need at the end of the day. So we went in there and we bought Dunkin' Donuts cards, man. And so what we said was, okay, the most important part of this meeting is the questions that you have and the, 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 the needs that you have to help remove the obstacles from the business. And we said, and we're going to entice you with these Dunkin' Donut cards because it was hard to get questions out of these people. But brother, when they started rolling with the questions, oh my God, I figured out firsthand, my IDT department was an absolute, utter disaster. Disaster. Didn't know it, but the first store told me, and the second store told me, and blah, 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 and on and on and on. So I knew the game. I found out a lot of other things too. So people did off off a lot. But you know what I found is that as I gave back and I made immediate fixes in those areas that would help them, they got more productive. Yeah, our yeah. volume went up, our margins went up. Um, the competence level, competency level of the people we were able to hire went up. And then we did an employee engagement survey, and it really came back quite quite nicely, better than I would have expected actually in such a short period of time. But it's because we did what you talked about. What do you need? And how are you going to pour into the organization? If I give you what you need, what are you going to give us? What are you going to give the team? And um, it was a good result, man. It really was. I wanted to take a quick break here to remind you that my book, Rocket Fuel, is available for sale now at MikeCRock.com forward slash book. That's MikeCROC.com forward slash book. Go get a copy and share it with your friends and family. It will change lives, guys. I will not let you down. Now back to the show. And how long into it from January 2020 till you started gaining traction with what you were doing? Well, if you remember, March 15th, I'm sitting with my COO going, all right, how much cash do we have? How long can we run the company with absolutely no revenue? 
COVID. Yep. Runway. Yep. Right? So that was a bit of a distract distraction. <laughs> so everything else kind of went by the wayside. And then it was how many people are we going to lay off? Are we going to pay their benefits? We did, by the way. Interesting thing I learned about during that said, okay, we're going to lay these folks off. We're going to furlough them. We're going to pay their benefits. Right thing to do, right? Well, what I found out was the people that were at work are like, whoa, wait a minute now. We're coming to work in the combat zone, not knowing what the heck's going on with this virus. We're not really making any money because nobody's coming in. What about us? Immediately, just like that. I said, we're, we're going to pay everybody's benefits. The people that are coming to work, my CFO kind of went nuts on me. He's like, Todd, I go, I don't care. Mm-hmm. Right? The right thing to do is pay for these folks. And that set a stage, man. So I will tell you the trust level, which ultimately gets you the result of the buy-in from the people because you need engagement, started about right there. So the end of March, beginning of April, uh, in the worst of times. And then, man, you know, just like a lot of other businesses, it's the have and the have-nots. Fortunately, we're on the have side. You know, May came around, June came around, and we started popping off record bunts. It made no sense why people wanted to buy a car in the middle of a pandemic, but boy, did they want to spend that government money. That's what they wanted to do. They want to buy yeah. stuff, right? Yeah. Boats, yeah. bikes, cars, <laughs> anything, houses, they want to buy. Yep. yep. Now, and then, uh, is it used cars or both? Both. Yeah. Okay. So we have, of the 56 stores, we have uh, 14 franchises. So pretty much every mainstream franchise you can think of. None of the real ultra high-end luxury stuff, no Ferrari, no Bentley, but all the mainstream Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, you know, and then all the manufacturers, the domestic and the import manufacturers, Honda, Toyota, Chevy, pretty much have them all. So we had a fair mix of, of all that stuff. And how did you get overcome the uh, inventory shortage for used cars? Well, it, I mean, we're still dealing with it. I mean, I do, yeah. you know, I talked to analysts and I just, I got off the phone with an analyst a little bit ago about, you know, where's this thing going and where's, and really at the end of the day that right now we're in a position where I would tell anybody that I know, do not buy a car right now. So the car guy is going to tell me not to buy a car. Yes, I am. There's no supply. We've sold through everything on the ground. I've got Toyota stores that should have 300 cars on the ground. They have six. Not 16, but six. Um, but worse than that, C-Rock, worse than that, everything in the pipeline coming in is sold. And everything that's been allocated to the dealership that's not yet been built is sold. So we literally have removed every vehicle that's possible and sold it. So there's no inventory. And there's no inventory coming. And we're not going to have any inventory into the first quarter. Now, what that does is drive margins up. So we're selling cars for you know, an average of about $2,000 over list price. But mm-hmm. as a lot of the analysts say, well, doesn't it mean they're going to continue to go up? I go, no, there's an inflection point where people just won't pay. Same thing in real estate, man. There is an inflection point where somebody says, I'm not going to pay that much for a house. Yep. And then the market has a tendency to settle. And hopefully we're getting close well, to that in Florida. I actually just saw a report yesterday that next year, 2022, that real estate's going to go up another 16%. That's a projection. So well, that came, and that came from someone uh, legit. But I can't remember who it was off the top of my head, but yeah. Well, you may hear you may hear the story with Grant and I, where you know we're gonna we're gonna head back down to South Florida once I get his deal sold, right? And, and yeah, and he wants me to go buy this thirteen million dollar house, which of course I'm not gonna buy. But I did send him a house the other night that's on the water because his whole deal was, hey man, you got to buy on the water. And he immediately called me, he goes, bro, we're gonna get in the chopper and we're gonna go look at that house. And I'm like, uh, uh, okay, Grant, no, 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 I'm serious. You need to call me. <laughs> We're going to look at that house. I mean, that is a stand-up dude, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He is something else, right? Yeah, he is. uh, Yeah, I mean, um, 
I'll get into that in a second. I'll, I'll want to talk about that in a second. But before okay. I do that, what do you when you're getting ready to have this situation where this sales happen? I don't know when it's closing or if it's closed. Yeah. But all right, so what do you do now? You yourself. So so a couple of options, right? One was to kind of stay with the company. That it's a big public company. It's the number number three largest public company in in the um, in the U.S. There's only six public companies, and they're number three. So a big group could stay with them. But I, I had a call with George Ross, who's Trump's advisor of 17 years as a coach. Yep. Yep. And uh, and I laid it out and I said, uh, George, uh, we've got this opportunity over here, opportunity X, or we got go with the public company and do what's you know familiar to me and so on and so forth. And he said, no, we're not, let's do a Ben Franklin. We did a Ben Franklin and, and we ended up on the X side. I mean, like unanimously on the X side. And I said, well, the cool thing is, you know, some sevens involved, slammed his hand down on the table, time. We are not talking about money. I don't care what those people want to pay. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, George, George. I was just saying I'm going to get it anyway. Like, <laughs> I it doesn't doing matter. <laughs> you are not going to want to work for somebody else. So basically what we're going to do, C-Rock, is I'm going to go start partnering with another guy. We're going to start a new deal that's going to be big, really big and proven. So it's not like a startup startup. But yeah. man, yeah. it is some life-changing stuff. And I will tell you, the only reason this thing got to me is because of what we were able to do with this company that we have. And that's what got me this, this gig. And it is, it's a godsend. I'll just tell you that. And, it, and it's going to put me, basically say, where do you want the office? And I said, well, it's going to either be Boston or we're going to South Florida. And of course, South Florida is a little more tax advantageous. So, and, and warmer. Uh, because I hate winters. And, and warmer because my wife is like, Gina's like, listen, this, you keep moving me further north. This is not working. So she is thrilled to get back into, uh, into Palm Beach County. Oh man, that's yeah, dude. I lived in uh, Hartford, Connecticut for six months. I opened a business there back in the day, and my wife was not having it. It was the worst, one of the worst winters. I don't remember the year, maybe 05, 04, something like that. Yeah. And at least it's, it seemed like the worst winter to me. I was, I'm a beach right. guy. So I live in Ocean <laughs> City, Maryland, by the way. So, um, oh, cool. So, but anyway, yeah. So, so I like the summertime here, the three seasons, wintertime. I try yeah. to get to Miami or LA or somewhere just to get away. But my, I was going to ask you something else with that. Oh, so. First of all, I, I can't wait to find out what that is because I want to do whatever I can to help and elevate you with that. Um, so, the, so the vision for that, so you're going to be in South Florida. I wanted to share with you my view of some things like when we're on Clubhouse and there's shows that go on, right? There's shows like JT's a show, you know, I, I get all that. But how do you navigate with, because I'm, I'm involved with Grant, I'm a business partner with Grant with the tech stuff now, and I'm a mentee of his and all that. I like JT. I think he's got a good heart. I don't agree with what he's doing with the with the conflict and all that, and I don't know how much of it is a show. And but how do you navigate that when you're going into a room when you have a relationship with Grant, but you have you have a relationship with JT possibly whatever? How do you navigate that? And because and the reason I ask this, I know it's a show, but I'm not worried about JT. I'm not worried about that the the person that's being the the bug. It's I'm worried about the people that listen to them. You follow me? So how do you navigate that? And and because I, I always want to fight, like just stand up for my guy. You know, so you know, listen, man, I didn't think they're going to be tough ones today, but, but dude, this is something that Gina and I, and quite honestly, I'm good friends with Nelson too, right? You know, our million yeah, marathon yeah. Uh, man, yep. and, 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 and he and I talk about this stuff and, um, truth be told, you know, I agree with you about JT. Okay. First of all, number one, he's super smart, very bright, has created a lot of wealth for himself. This is undisputable. I don't care what anybody says. I've seen enough. I understand this guy's the real deal, right? Mm -hmm. He and Grant couldn't be any different, which I think we figured out. But the tipping point for me was I run one room a week, personally, under my CEO Central Club. Uh, we got 
like 11,000 members in eight weeks. And a lot of it has to do with my wife and she's a rock star on the app and so on and so forth. But man, we get a lot of participation. And we had a room a couple of weeks ago and Grant was in there and JT came in and they went at each other. Now I would say JT went after Grant. It wasn't the other way around. And it was ugly. And, and Grant bowed out. He bowed out. And a JT eventually, you know, got blocked or whatever happened. And he bowed out. And I said to myself, you know, I got to make a decision. I really can't serve. Not that these guys are my masters, but you, you really can't serve two no, masters. You got to pick. You kind of want to pick where you want to go. And listen, I, I got investment money with JT. I do with his group, with the founders. And I believe in that. Mm-hmm. But I can't be put in a position where if I go into one of JT's rooms, he's immediately going to want to talk about Grant and, and how Grant tried to get buy me a $13 million house and all. It was, it was a little out of context, but you know, I don't want to be in the middle of that. And for your, for here, I think what you asked me, and I'm going to answer the question directly, what about the listeners, right? What if That's they what I get. Yeah. Yeah. And I say to myself, C-Rock, man, I have to protect my brand and who I am. And that's the same reason why you won't see me in some of these weird rooms. Some of them are funny. They would probably entertain the hell out of me, but I don't want to be in there because I don't want people that are following me going, wow, that's not the guy I thought he was. And and I think for that reason, I have to kind of pick where I go. And I've been a little bit more careful in what I do. So it's a tough question, man. And I'm trying to figure it out, to be honest. Yeah. Like I said, I'm in the same boat and I love the entertainment. I can handle JT. I I don't get emotional with it and uh and uh, i know there's a show but there is again i'm not saying anything bad it's just i disagree with the way he's handling some things and it's his business right. and but i will stick up for the people that uh i'm with that i believe in that have taken care of me and because of that because of that those other people and that's what a lot of people like unlike us miss so um yeah, yeah well what i tried to explain to jt and he didn't he didn't listen to me is what what he doesn't know about the conversation was so grant called me after the clubhouse room originally and said, Hey man, what's your situation? What's your new deal? I mean, he asked me a million questions. He got what I'm going to do, where I'm going. I gave him the whole story. And from that, he said, okay, brother, this is what you need to do. Not buy the $13 million house. He was messing with me, but don't sell yourself short. Now on the other side of the spectrum, JT didn't reach out, didn't try to reach out, but he attacked Grant for what Grant was giving the advice on. And what he doesn't know is the backstory was Grant did a lot of diligence to try to make sure he was giving me good advice. And how can you argue with that? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. The other thing I have a problem with is this is my livelihood. I'm in business with him, with Grant. Um, um, There's a lot of people that rely on all the businesses that we're doing and we're trying to make a huge impact. We have a moonshot of 10,000 tech companies in 10 years. Uh, I was on it. I was on the call. I saw you on there, bro. I listened to you today. Yep. Yeah. And so, so with that being said, when JT's doing his thing, if it's doing it for trying to build his, whatever he's trying to do, he doesn't think about the people that are all good people. Grant's a good dude, but if he doesn't like Grant, fine. What about the good people that are doing and fighting? And that's what I have a serious problem with. So I was navigating that thing too. Cause like I said, I'm entertained with it and I don't mind fighting with someone, not emotionally, but like, you know, going at it. Right. And so anyway, I just thought I'd bring that up and see what your thoughts were and how you navigated that. And yeah. So anyway, I'm with you on it. I really am. I mean, I think we think a lot alike and I am thinking about the people and I'm trying to, you know, make sure and listen, we have a huge impact on these people on Clubhouse. We really do. I mean, yeah. I can tell you, I don't have to guess it. I look at the back channels that come in, right? Yep. And, and it's a big deal. And these 37 people that some of the million marathon folks decided to 
sponsor to do Grant's boot camp, which is going on today. Um, yeah. I'm hoping that that makes a difference for people. Now, it could have been a dumb idea, but I know there were 37 people that really wanted to do it. Hey, if two people come out of that deal and change something in their life that's yeah. positive, yeah. well worth it. Yep. Well worth and it. I like them fellas too. The, those guys are great. Even Jonathan, yeah. even though I don't agree with everything he says, it's just, exactly. they, they, they're doing that's a phenomenal a job. And, that's and, uh, a show, I, but they're good yeah, people. I, I, Every one of those guys are good people. I'm telling you. Yeah, I love them. So, all right, man. Well, I'm going to wrap up here. Is there anything I should have asked you that I didn't? You know, that's the normal interview question, right? I mean, we could we could talk for hours, brother. Uh, we need to just do it again. Uh, no, man. I think we had a great, real conversation, and hopefully, anybody that watches or listens gets some value out of it. You're a rock star, man. I'm glad we got thank to you, connect. Good stuff. Thank you, thank you. And hey, listen. I'm rooting for you, whatever this venture is, and I'll find out when soon enough. I'm rooting for yeah. you, man. I, you know, I'm one of your biggest supporters. I don't even know what it is. And uh, I just want to see you win and impact people. And uh, I just want to also thank you for coming on the show. And oh, one other thing too, I'll let you know. I'm going to tell you something after we hang up here. So okay. thanks for coming on the show. You guys have been listening to the What Do You Made Up podcast with your boy, Mike C-Rock, the unstoppable. And listen, I know Todd, he qualifies for being inexorable which is another word for unstoppable, unyielding. Till next time, guys, just keep coming back. I appreciate all of your support and uh, we'll bring you back with another great guest uh, next time. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of What Are You Made Of? Be sure to check my website out at themikecrock.com, themikecrock with no K.com and let us know how we can help you or your business reach its full potential. Feel free to leave a review or follow me on social media, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube at Mike C. Rock Scirocco. Again, thank you for joining me and see you guys on the next episode. I want to remind you that the Rocket Fuel book is available at my website, MikeCRock.com forward slash book. That's MikeCROC.com forward slash book. Go get yourself a copy. Thank you so much for your support and your listenership. It means the world to me.